Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. We start playing into this role of, you know, using our frontal lobe and reasoning skills and, you know, judgment and that kind of thing more. And we start to dim and mute this real innate superpower that human beings have, which is our creative imagination, our ability to build narrative and story. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, I'm so happy to be here. My producer genie is here, and I know which episode it is today. <laughs> Welcome to True Prescription episode number 49. Today, I have the pleasure, you have the pleasure of listening to my guest, Todd Herman. Hey, Todd. My man, it's good to be here. Absolutely. And, and by the way, everybody, he just looked at his hand to see what episode <laughs> number this was, because this is the truth prescription. It's the truth. Got to tell the truth. Todd. Todd is from Western Canada. He's a high performance coach and most importantly, practitioner, which means he practices what he preaches. Mm -hmm. He's not just one of these research guys pulling figures out of his ass and then throwing it on paper and having us read it. He lives here in NYC with his wife and his three young children, Molly, Sophie, and Charlie. And one thing about him that I liked immediately when I read it, I said he's perfect for the show, that he is bullshit intolerant. Yeah. And on the truth prescription, we are bullshit intolerant as well. <laughs> so how are you doing today? Fantastic. Rainy, Fantastic. rainy, rainy day in NYC. But, I, was, uh, I was hoping we were going to do the entire episode in our radio voices, oh, everybody. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if they could handle that, <laughs> no. but I do put the radio voice on when we do yes or BS later. Perfect. That's. I'll, I'll respond. <laughs> I'll, I'll respond to my best radio voice yes, then for you yes. too. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I appreciate that. So for my new listeners, my old listeners know this, but I'll just repeat the premise of the show is that all successful people, no matter the industry, have had to go with and deal with certain truths. Mm -hmm. And it's only when we confront those truths, not run from them, can we ultimately break through and be successful. So, Todd, you've got a lot in your history and your background, both personally and professionally, I'm sure you could draw from. Before we get into that, I'm just going to say this quickly. We'll get back into it. But Todd's new book, The Alter Ego, is out. On Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and bookstores everywhere. We'll talk a little bit more about the book, but make sure you check it out. So, personal, professional, which one do you want to do first? Let's do personal first. Okay. So, a personal truth, something that you went through. Tell us a story. You're a good, you're a great communicator, great storyteller. Take us to a scenario where there was a truth that you were ignoring that you, once you realized you were ignoring it, then you ultimately said, you know what, I'm going to deal with this. And then you broke through to the other side. Yeah, well, this one's a recent one. It goes back many years. So when I was, I, like you had said before, I'm from Western Canada. I grew up on a big farm and ranch outside of Medicine Hat, Alberta, in middle of nowhere, truly. 6,000 acres. 
Actually, um, uh, my mom corrected me recently. She said, Todd, it was 10,000 acres, by the way. Um, (laughs) Thanks, mom. So, uh, yeah, I I under-promised on that one. So, I grew up in a big farm and ranch, and I had two older brothers, younger sister, and I didn't have as much of an affinity towards, you know, being a farmer as as my older brothers did. And uh, I always kind of felt like a, not really a fish out of water, but I always had this big aspiration of going off and, you know, living in a big city, but I, I love being around people. I'm a massive extrovert, but gregarious and, and stuff. And so anytime summer rolled around, whatever I could do to get off the farm and go and hang out with other people, I, I would jump at it. So I would go away to like different camps as much as many camps as I could. And, you know, if I, I'd go to a church camp one weekend, I'd be a Catholic next weekend, I'd be Presbyterian the next week, <laughs> I'd be what, whatever, That's whatever funny. was there, I'd go be it. And so when I was 12, I went off to a church camp. And unfortunately, over the course of a couple of days, I was sexually assaulted by a couple of men and didn't deal with it. I mean, I actually came home from that. I mean, ruined me on the inside and came home from that. And actually, I dropped my bag off at the front door, walked towards, we had this new pool that just got put in the backyard. And I walked to the backyard, grabbed my swim trunks. Just, I find it actually strange that I put on swim trunks to go do this, but I went and I jumped in the pool and I tried to drown myself because I didn't want anybody to find out. And then, you know, that kind of successive experience, multiple kind of suicide attempts throughout my life. Finally, I got to a breaking point literally just a year and a half ago where I I did a very good job of managing it on the inside. It actually explains why I got into the mental toughness world because I did it just out of pure survival. And the great gift that came out of it was, you know, the book, The Alter Ego Effect, and staying kind of as true to the form of what it means to be a human being and tapping into some superpowers that we have, which is the creative imagination. I, I tapped into it a lot because I needed to escape just the reality that I was having to deal with on the inside. And so anyways, I ended up getting to the point where I just couldn't manage it anymore and finally shared it with someone for the very first time a year and a half ago, my good friend Chris here in New York City. And then I went home and I told my wife for the first time. Her first reaction was actually, she didn't like laugh, but it was kind of like a like almost like an emotional release of like, oh my God, now I understand you. Now I get why you tick kind of thing. Anyway, so for the last year and a half, I really walked that path of facing that thing down and unraveling it and, and working through it. And then I got to the point at the end of December of 2018, I sat down to actually just write out my, my 2019 and I teach this concept called scripting for my athletes. And I was going to do that for 2019. And instead, I actually just wrote out this post or this big long kind of letter that I was writing to actually, so I could tell my family for the very first time, all my brothers, sisters, my parents, because I just wanted to get rid of it. I, I was like, you know, I have this book coming out. I really want 2019 to just shed this stuff. I don't need to carry it anymore. I didn't do it. You know, all that shame and guilt that drives many, many people. I mean, it did me. So I wrote it, called up all my family members, re- read it to each of them individually, because I wanted to have them all have a consistent story. That's why I kind of wrote it that way. And I think for most people, if we if we write it down, we can actually probably navigate stuff when you're dealing with difficult things, probably a little more grace. And then I actually just published it on Facebook because I, again, just wanted to be honest with other people. And so actually since then, what that did was I had so many people reach out that would be like, you know, I've been following your career for a long time. I really respect you. You're a really smart guy or, you know, nice things. But now I absolutely love you. Like that vulnerability, that bravery, that courage that it took to write that. And What's really important, I think, about that is I didn't write it. I didn't care about getting a like or a comment. I was really doing it for myself to just get rid of it. And I think some people's vulnerability nowadays, we need to be careful with it because sometimes they're sharing before they're even emotionally ready to even, like they haven't even dealt with it internally yet, like with professionals or whatever the case is. But I can tell you, like I've had some really good 
professional successes in my life, but a lot of that has been me operating in the red line, the gas pedal to the floor and kind of thing. We were kind of talking about a little bit earlier with, with all the hustle that you're, you're putting towards the things that you've got going on. And it feels like I really released the emergency brake and I'm kind of operating. It's like, flow, wow. This, almost. Yeah. You talk yeah. about flow state a lot. It's almost like now you're actually able to be in that real flow state. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that doesn't mean that life is easy every single day sure, of the week, right? Of course but not. It has opened up the pathway or doorway for other people to reach out. So even since I wrote that in the course of eight days after that, I talked to seven people, some of them extremely successful entrepreneurs that were friends and some not even friends that reached out and that were suicidal. And, you know, so I had some like really amazing conversations with people and I could not have had this conversation with you a year ago where I wouldn't be like a puddle talking about it. It'd be like, I'd blubber my way through it kind of thing. But again, now that I've released all that shame and guilt, I can just talk about it as, you know, as it is an event and I didn't do anything to ask for it or anything like that. So that is one truth for you on the personal side of things. Okay. Well, I think that's enough. You don't need to share another personal truth. That's, that's, wow. There's a lot there. Well, I'll just say this. I don't think I've ever said this on the show. People that are close to me know this, and obviously my therapist knows this, but what you described is something that I've also dealt with that happened to me two separate occasions when I was young. And I think it takes a lot to to get through it, and it takes a lot to be brave enough to speak about it. But you're right. I think I needed to make sure that I was sort of okay with it internally. So thank you for sharing that with us on the show. And in my research of you, I didn't see that anywhere. So I'm, cause even in this post, it starts, at least the one I'm looking at, it starts with when I was 12, I tried to drown myself, but the reason behind it, I didn't know. Yeah. Well, on that too. So I saw this modeled for me, Sarah Blakely, you know, the founder of Spanx, she brought myself and a couple of other people down to Spanx in September of 2017 to speak at an event, her and her husband, Jesse Itzler and Frank Shamrock, the famous UFC fighter was there speaking. And I saw him go on stage on the opening night and just talk so openly about his extremely troubled past that he had growing up. And then him and I connected like right afterwards, became really good friends and are good friends right now. And I said to Frank, I said, thank you for showing me that I could actually be able to talk about this at some point in time and do it without being super emotional about it. I'll make a promise to you that I'll be able to do that at some point in time. And even in the post, I actually tagged him and said, hey, you know, just looping back around on this because it's done. Okay. Professional think, truth? Yeah, let's move on to the professional truth. Professional truth. I've built a lot of my career on speaking and being on stages. I've kind of taken more of a hiatus the last eight years, but I'm getting, now that the book is out, I'll do it more. And I kind of took that time away to build up, you know, a bit of a more online platform for myself because I knew I was going to have children and didn't want to be traveling all the time and playing the road show. But when I was younger, I was speaking at an event in Las Vegas. It was a big leadership event for student council, Greek societies, like just that it was a leadership type of event. <laughs> and so I'm standing on stage and I'm talking about the importance of a first impression and how to kind of really engineer that so that you get the best result possible so that you can perform and everything. So I'm about five minutes left before I'm going to wrap up. And there's a big screen TV, a couple of them. And I kind of catch myself on the big screen TV. And I noticed that I have my fly wide open. (laughs) I'm standing there talking to people about a first impression. And I got this fly open. Now, luckily, I played 
football at a high level, played college football, had scholarships. I was a National League badminton player. And, you know, sport is a big part of my life. And anyone who's around sport, you know, like you're in, when you're in the locker room, there's a lot of trash talk that happens. Me being a bit outgoing, I was not one to shy away from the veterans if they were throwing some barbs my way. So I kind of developed some chops around thinking quickly. And I just said to everyone, now, just to wrap up, I know that a lot of you have been sitting here listening to me talk about the value of a first impression. And you might have been nudging the people around you and dismissing everything that I said because I've been standing up here the entire time with my fly down. <laughs> and I wanted exploded. to- Exploded, yeah, room exploded. Yeah, and everyone was like, whoa, that's so meta. And I was like, you know, this is a perfect example of, you know, you probably were dismissing away a lot of my stuff or you're ignoring it. But anyway, I kind of just wrapped it up perfectly for them. <laughs> right. It was a huge standing ovation. But in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, thank God. You know how to think quickly on your feet. This is just an embarrassing moment for you. Well, you talked about how like a lot of that was, you know, growing up with brothers who were, although stronger than you, you developed a wit and yeah. you could sort of, you know, battle them wit wise. They, they could beat me up physically, but I would go at them mentally. And, right. And I, I called it lobbing mental grenades. And at some point in time later in the day, I'd pull the pin, which would cause an explosion of just anger or rage in them. And I would get a kick out of it. <laughs> so in that in that story was the truth that you realized that you had that wit that was something that maybe you didn't Oh, the truth was actually just me sharing the fact that I can do some pretty stupid things sometimes, <laughs> really. <laughs> um uh, I am I am apparently not a professional fly zipper upper. But no, it was it was a recognition as well that I do have that ability to think quickly, which ends up helping me be a good advisor, coach with people. But also you have to be cautious with it too, because just because you can give advice in the moment doesn't mean it's the right advice. And I had a mentor that really helped me understand that. Harvey Dorfman. It was Harvey. Just, just the value of saying, you know what? Let me get back to you on that. Let me think about it. And I have had so many clients tell me that they feel so much more safety around me and my advice because they know that I am going to honor the question, the problem, the issue that they have and really think and noodle on it. Because I will loop back around, whether it's a day later or two days later. And I mean, and through that process, I don't want to leave people hanging. And so if I don't have the answer yet, I'll text you tomorrow and say, hey, just want to let you know, I'm still noodling on the right kind of response to this, you know, challenge that we're kind of facing down together kind of thing. And I think if people operated that way more, we'd probably be getting better advice from people as well. Instead of just everyone wants to like, again, it's that kind of fast food world we live in. You gotta, you gotta have advice right now. Got a comment right now. I'm in a, I'm in a state of emotional rage. I got a comment <laughs> on that post right now. It's like, state let's, of just, emotional let's, rage. Just let's just take a little breather here. Do you think that sometimes you know the answer, but people are not ready to hear it? And that's a reason to hold back? Somebody says, what do you think about such and such? And you know the answer, but you think maybe they're not ready at this moment. Oh, well, then I'll challenge them on that then. So I'll say, I kind of use that framework of, you know, interested and committed. And I'd say, John, do you actually want to know the answer? Like, are you ready for the answer? Because that's really important. Because for me, interest and commitment are very, very different ends of the bandwidth, right? So someone can be interested in a book, they pick up the book, they're interested in the idea, they flip through that, you know, the author says, you know, do this exercise, answer this question, like, and, and someone who's interested goes, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come back to that. And that's going to come back to that. I want to get the whole book and then I'll come back and answer the questions. And then they get to the end of the book and they're like, oh, that was a really good book. And then they recommend it off to other people and, and they move on. And now they've just accumulated some knowledge, but someone who's committed to the idea of what the book represents 
will get to the end of the chapter and they'll stop and they'll actually answer those questions. It's a completely different mindset. And that's why for me being around such high performing elite athletes or executives and professionals, there's really not that much difference between how they operate and what they're doing. It's the doing, but it, it is their, their mindsets and the paradigms that they live and act through. And they're very much a commitment focused group of people and they keep it very much on a, on a straight line that way and don't try to overwhelm themselves with whatever their vocation might be. Yeah, I heard you in an interview talk about Mark Zuckerberg and how their single focus in at that time when you talked to him was getting more subscribers. And that's all he was focused on, that one thing. I think it, it's a gift and a curse. It's a, it's a good and a bad thing because they've, they've achieved that. It's funny, I was thinking even for our, this podcast, you know, could that be our focus? And then I've, I've also heard some bad things about Facebook, about how they've done some things that were maybe not scrupulous to business owners in the pursuit of getting more followers. You know, I think your focus has to be a focus, but also with some boundaries in terms of, you know, you don't want to cheat people. So I'll say this, that I'd say most people, they live in blissful ignorance about what it really takes sometimes to get to the, Like I've worked with some of the biggest oil companies on the planet. There are some unscrupulous things that they'll do in other countries in order to secure the oil rights of some land, right? And so- there's a lot of people who love to throw around the quotes of Steve Jobs about hustle and like success and all that. And I'm like, most people don't have that level of ambition. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you're not as successful just because you don't have that level. It's not that his level of ambition is better than someone else's. Ambition is, you know, a personal thing because some people can be ambitious to have a little more of a holistic life. And that could be to many other people way more successful than Steve because you could argue that depending on what your definition is, he wasn't very successful or other really successful entrepreneurs. But the idea that people have that, you know what, if every single business always operated with extraordinary values and, and fairness and everything, it's a lovely idea. Could we possibly get there as a race or as a group of people on the planet? That'd be amazing. But right now it doesn't kind of work that way. Okay. Let's jump into some questions. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Tell me about the leadership and skills development program. Sort of give us an overarching view. And in your estimation, I mean, you, you kind of talked about it a little bit. You have people that are interested and people that are committed. Who do you think could benefit from it, you know, from the leadership and skills development program? That one that you're talking about is, is a program that was born out of the work that I do with athletes on helping them perform. And what we would do is we would take a look at all the skills that they're focused on or that they, that they need in order to succeed in their sport. And it's like, okay, well, in the next 90 days, which one, if we worked on it and just focused only on that thing, would get you the biggest return on your performance? And oftentimes, what people like forget when it comes to just a sole focus is that there is a knock-on or a domino effect of actually how it translates into other skills that you don't even realize. So a basketball player is looking at, well, I want to improve my dribbling skills and my speed. And I need to be able to like maintain or improve my free throw shooting and my three point shooting and like all of this stuff. And it's a really slow climb of skill building because you're pushing all these different rocks up. But if instead what I would do is I'd come in and say, okay, of the group, which one will give you the biggest bang? And oftentimes it would be something at speed and quickness because basketball, hockey, and soccer, they're actually the same sport. They're all about, from a strategic level, time and space. The athlete with the most time and space will win. And that's why you can have someone who's five foot six, like Lionel Messi, go out on the pitch and, and dominate. 
because he knows how to create time and space for himself and other people. So in basketball, time and space, how do you develop that then? Well, it's your speed and quickness, and then possibly that, that dribbling ability, depending on what position you're at, right? So all of the practice time that you have available to yourself over the next 90 days, 80% of it, we're going to devote to just one skill. And then we're going to use the other 20% just to maintain the other stuff. But if you develop that speed and quickness ability, now it actually improves your shooting ability when you're in a game because the reason that you can't score when you're in a game is because you don't get these, you know, free shots like you're practicing when you're on your, you know, front driveway, right? So it makes sense. So anyways, when I started getting asked to come in and do a lot more stuff in the corporate world and work with professionals, I just applied that same concept to professionals because typically we're building skills. And there's a certain set of skills that you need to succeed at your role that you're in. And so that leadership and skill development program, it's called the 90 day year. And it's because I, not even the premise, but the, just the, the proof of it is that you can create a year's worth of results in 90 days because of just the power of that focus and that muscle of discipline that you're developing. And so in business, it would be, you know, you just talked about Facebook and getting more subscribers. So as a goal for the 90 days, it could be that it's like, you know what? The focus for our next 90 days is really around working on projects that help us get more subscribers because projects is how we translate the use of time and resources in business, right? And most people are working on so many projects that don't align together. They're actually all shooting towards different goals and then they wonder why they get such slow progress. Well, me, again, we were talking about before that really performance is about subtraction high performance and working people on peak performance is about deleting, removing, subtracting, not adding more to it. That's what we do with business owners is subtract, delete, get them to really focus, align their one goal for the 90 days with a set of projects that are going to hit that goal. And then the activities that you're engaging with daily and weekly that will hit that project and complete those projects quickly. That's great. Anybody that's listening, think about that. What project can you do in the next 90 days that's going to help focus laser focus your vision, really distill it down to what you need to do to move a particular thing forward. So you grew up on a farm, right? We've been corrected, 10,000 square foot farm. And now you live in New York City, right? It's, they're seemingly different, but I'm sure you've made some connections. How are they similar? But specifically, how did growing up on, on a farm sort of shape your vision for yourself? Okay. So how are they similar? There's both amazing people I'm surrounded by in both areas. There's just way more. I've got more people in my condo apartment complex than in the entire <laughs> town and surrounding area going for probably about 20 miles. And so similar is, you know, good people. Similar is both amazing opportunities to develop character and integrity. And I think you're probably tested more in a city because you're around so many, I mean, there's nothing more challenging than people. <laughs> Human beings are challenging to be around. Whereas on the farm, you're challenged by definitely environment. You know, there's a lot of things that are out of your control as a farmer. The things I learned that helped shape me on the farm, definitely the value of work ethic and hard work. Seeing the cycle of life and death at a young age. That's one thing I miss with my kids is they don't see the cycle of life and death at a young age where, you know, We'd have pigs that would die or like my, you know, those pets that would die. Like you're just surrounded by so many animals and you just, you just get it. And so you're a little bit more anesthetized to the reality of what life is like on a farm that way. And then my dad knew that I was going to be going away and wouldn't come back to the farm. And he's a man of, he's a classic farmer, man of few words. But when he said things, they were pretty wise. And we were working in the corrals one day, separating cattle 
so that we could send them off to some of the different pastures that we had. And we took a break to have a pop soda <laughs> for all you Americans, depending on where you are. Soda. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we're cracked open our cans of pop. Dad said to me, he pointed over to the to his right and he said, you see that piece of cow shit over there? And I said, uh, yeah, I see it. Dad <laughs> kind of like confused. And he's like, well, you can take a piece of cow shit, wrap it in a red ribbon, but it's still a piece of cow shit. And then he walked away. And all he meant was, you're going to go off and you're going to meet a lot of people and really look past whatever that veneer is because that person could just be a piece of shit underneath that three-piece suit. And so that I've never, ever, ever forgot that. You know, you're just looking at the character and the integrity of people. And, you know, so I, I super slow play stuff as well. I learned this over time. I didn't do it early on, but I slow play opportunities. I want to get to know people for a long time. So even myself, like I've got a business where, you know, I do, I will promote other people's stuff sometimes. But if I ever promoted someone's, you know, product or service or something like that, that means that we've personally used it. And I've had a minimum of two private dinners with that person so I can kind of get to see how they do operate. I want to see how they treat the waiter, the waitress. I want to see how they, you know, treat other people before I go and, you know, because some people are, you know, they're subscribers or they're clients of mine. And, you know, I've built up trust over time. And so if I say something's great or someone's great, then I want to make sure that I can say it with a lot of honesty. Yeah, it has to mean something. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just a few of them. I mean, I could go on and on no, no. for days when those it comes to great. things I learned on the forum. Those are great. I call that a shit-covered donut. Same, yeah. <laughs> same concept. But yeah, I've, I'm sure we've all, and, and I'm sure my listeners have all dealt with people who, you know, had the shiny suit, but yeah, the inside was like yeah. terrible. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's Spanish for terrible. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Alter Ego. Tell me about the colors which I love, the yellow, the bright yellow. Tell the listeners a little bit about what the heroic self is. Sure. My book is actually based on, well, just a fundamental truth of the human psyche, which is we've all used alter egos and personas and secret identities. We played around with them when we were kids. And that was us using that kind of untethered creative imagination that we've got when we're young. And then, you know, over time, we're told to grow up or act your age or whatever. And we start to think that that stuff that we did when we were five, six, seven was childish and adults don't do that stuff anymore. And so we start playing into this role of, you know, using our frontal lobe and reasoning skills and, you know, judgment and that kind of thing more. And we start to dim and mute this real innate superpower that human beings have, which is our creative imagination, our ability to build narrative and story for ourselves. And alter ego, its, its root form came from Cicero, the famous Roman statesman and philosopher known as kind of being probably the most popular and prolific back in 44 BC. And, and, and its root form means the other I or trusted friend. I think anyone who's had some success in life, if you, if you look back on it, there was a large element of like people coming around to help you when that happened, right? And that's, so we're always looking for great allies and friends to, to be there for us. Externally. Externally. But we forget about that other part, that internal part, that internal world. And, and an alter ego is a fantastic way to bring an ally in internally to help you navigate just the natural resistances that some people might have to going out and achieving the things that they want to go and achieve. So it creates this suspension of disbelief. So it's like, man, like I, I, I'd love to go and, you know, start acting or play music or, you know, starting paint or close the sale and, you know, start my business. But, you know, what are other people going to think of me? But that other I, that trusted friend, if you step into the idea of 
Oprah or Martin Luther King or James Bond or a lion or a, a bear, a buck, a snake, like you know, Kobe Bryant did with the Black Mamba. And so many other stories that I share in the book from people throughout history that have used it, that it, like are, are documented. You're acting through that other, using that as a vehicle for the action of your own behaviors, but it's still the real you because sometimes we are layered down just like I was. I mean, that personal trauma that happened to me was really shaping a lot of my behavior. And I had a tough time believing that I could do certain things, but my alter egos didn't have that. They didn't have that narrative. They didn't have that story. I was acting through them and I was allowing that sort of core self, that heroic self to show up out there. And I talk about how in the book that at the end of the day, when your head is on the pillow, some people can judge themselves for, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I raise my hand? Why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I close the sale when it was obvious that what I had was going to be perfect for them? Why didn't I ask the question in the podcast? But I was so concerned about that person, you know, <laughs> thinking that I'd be too, like, I mean, and so that creates what I call the trapped self, right? Where it's like, you know, that there's more in you and it's not getting out there. It's like that basketball player at the end of the game who passes the ball off instead of takes the shot. Right. Cause in the ladder of ascension in his mind, that person is the superstar, not me. No, no, no. There is a superstar baked inside of you. This isn't about faking it till you make it. That whole idea of faking the behavior. This isn't about like pretending that you're a maxifacial reconstructive surgeon today so that you can go and do surgery. <laughs> That's not what it's about. But if there is a maxifacial reconstructive surgeon and he's been asked to go and do a speech at a local university, he's never done a speech before. And he's passionate about his craft. The last thing I want that dude to do is to be caught up in his own mind about worried about what those kids are thinking. Am I going to be, am I going to say the right things? And, you know, how do I structure it? No, I want you to like free yourself from that narrative. And then you act through whoever your favorite entertainer might be and really just allow that passion to come out so that maybe some other kid gets inspired by what it is that you're talking about. And they go out and become a great maxifacial reconstructive surgeon. And so, you know, there are so many people, I just have this you know, fundamental belief about human beings that, no, I think you've got most of the skills already inside of you. They are just somehow being restricted by the puppet strings of some of the narrative of your past. And an alter ego has been a proven concept for millennia to help people navigate that. It's also, I mean, heck, imagine having a little more playfulness with life, right? Yeah. It's already yeah. serious have enough. Fun with it. And so I just unpacked the science of it inside the book and it's taken off and it's done quite well. And this is actually what I'm more known for in pro sports and Olympic sport is building alter egos and secret identities for, for athletes. And then also for professionals and executives and entrepreneurs for the last about eight years. Amazing. Go out and, and get the book. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's all, that's that all is, I have to say. That is a command. I would, I, that's a command. <laughs> Go do it now. You know, it's funny. A lot of times it's a lot easier for us as leaders to tell other people to go out and do things. I had a, a friend recently who was having some struggle with doing something and I, and I was just like, stop talking about it. Do it now. And he looked at me and I said, now. And he looked at me. But by the same token, I also have struggle. I had a, a business meeting last week where I had to present something and I was like flipping out for two days over this meeting. Now I went and did the meeting. It was fine. But it was like, why am I putting myself through all of this? Yeah. You know? and, and I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, some of the reason why we can give that advice to other people so easily is because we can see the potential in them because we're not tied to the narrative that they've got in their own brain right now. And so it's easy for us to say, go do it. What I'm trying to do is give people in that moment, maybe another set of tools and skills that when you say, instead of saying, go do it, which has been pretty much most of the advice that's been given in a lot of self-help books is like human beings were gifted with this power of willpower. 
and, you know, just do it, make it happen. Right. And it sounds like it's a nice idea and people accept it, but fundamentally, actually, when people hear it, they're like, like, do you even understand like what I've been through or like my own circumstances or situation? Like, you know, there's, there's just natural resistance out there. And so resistance comes from the stuff that's sitting inside of your unconscious. Now, I'm not a skilled therapist. I'm not here to walk people through that. I mean, and, and I've been poking around between the six inches of people's ears for 22 years now. And when I came across something that was like, you know, a trigger for people, I'm not the one that's skilled to do that. I would refer people off to any one of the five to eight therapists that I've got around me that I can refer them off to their amazing skill. But that doesn't mean you need to go stand on the sidelines and figure yourself out and unpack that and then not continue because <laughs> that's not a reality for many people. So with this is like, so to your friend, you know, when you were saying like, man, just go do it, like do it now. And so it was like, hey man, what would Jay-Z do, right? That's actually tapping into just one of the ideas of the alter ego because you're suspending your own disbelief and you're stepping into that other thought of, well, what would he do right now? And it's like, man, bring out your inner Jay-Z. Go crush that, smash that, man. And so I'm just, like I say in the book, this isn't me teaching you anything new. I codified the process because that was, was, that's what I was hired to do. And it's definitely a systematic approach. But I also remind people, you already know how to do this. You've done this before in your life or you're, you're actually doing it now. And I'm just giving you the language to understand it internally as well. Okay, great. Okay. So discuss the five pillars of business and why they're important. Do you discuss the five pillars in the book, by the way? No. You don't? Okay, no. this is something else. Yeah. Yeah. So when working with business owners and helping them you know, navigate that, hey, how can I find where that area of focus should be? Because it's one thing to say to people, hey, go focus on getting more subscribers or, you know, it's being prescriptive. Instead, in my business and with my team, anytime we're working with people or in our, inside of our programs, we run a very diagnostic approach, which you as a doctor would appreciate, right? Sure. There's so many people who are just like, oh, go do this. And it's very anecdotal. So I like, I did it, you can too. I've got an allergy to that stuff. I think that we could probably demand more from the people who are offering advice nowadays than the stuff that was from the 1970s, 1980s, where like, hey, I was successful at this and you can do it too. You know, <laughs> it's like, that voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, I think people should be demanding more from the, the thought leaders or the advisors today. It's 20 freaking 19. Like there's a lot of data that tells you the kind of core principles that you could be applying to be successful at something. It has nothing to do with the whole, I did it, you can too. And so anytime I'm trying to, if I'm going to go into a, a market or a niche, I'm going to first unpack what is it all about. And so in business, there's really five pillars that make up business. There's the marketing and sales pillar. There's the product pillar. There's the operations and technology pillar. There's the finance pillar. And then there's the people and leadership pillar. And so what I do inside of that 90 day year system is we get people to answer a series of questions in each of those pillars. So in the marketing and sales, it'd be like, you know, scale of one to 10, rate your lead generation. Scale of one to 10. And all I'm looking for, because I'm a performance guy, all I want is the numbers. I want the number. I don't want the narrative yet. I want the story. I just want the numbers right now. We can get the story later. But, you know, we ask them a series of questions. And then what happens though, is when people are actually putting their own content through a really good rigid kind of diagnostic, they start to get the clarity themselves because I know that human beings, that when they come to their own conclusions are what? More free to go and take the action necessary that's right for them. So I talk about in, in our world, we call it the field of play. So most people are putting together strategies and taking actions based on someone else's field of play. Now it's like, no, play the field that you're on right now. Don't play on Todd's field or Susie's field. No, get yours right. 
And this gets to your like, you know, kind of that's why I like the, the premise of the show around the truth. When you're actually truthful and you're honest about where you're at, now you can plot a path forward to get to where you want to go. Most people head in the sand. They're lying to themselves. They're dismissing away things or don't want to face it. We don't need to go deep on it. But if lead generation right now really sucks for you, then having a bunch of projects right now that are about redoing your product isn't a smart plan. So focus in on that one thing in the next 90 days, because that's the field that you're on, which then graduates you to the next field. So if you really pay attention to autobiographies, which I encourage people to read more of than most self-help books, because autobiographies are biographies of other people, you actually get the full narrative of the person and all the nuance that's into that. And you kind of, you know, they're taken off of the, the glossy pedestal that some other writer has, you know, created for them in a, you know, a chapter of, a singular book about successful human beings. No, I want the full story of that person. And when you really look at it, success is a lot about sequencing. It's about doing the right things at the right time in the right order. And so this, these five pillars, when you kind of diagnose it properly, really helps people get clarity for themselves. And then all of a sudden, what goal you need to set, what projects you need to work on, you know, how you need to be productive and all these things just fall out of that. Clarity is so important, right? Like, I mean, if you and I are standing at the edge of a forest and there's a fog that's sitting in the forest right now, and I say, sprint into the forest, how fast <laughs> are you going to do it? And are you going to do it even? Moderately paced. Yeah. Moderately paced. Yeah. Even if at all, right? And that's actually how most advice is, is people go, yeah, go do this, but they don't have the clarity yet. And so clarity is so important. And that's why this, this diagnostic approach helps out so much because as soon as the fog is lifted, they see a path forward themselves, they'll sprint headlong into it. And I didn't have to push. I didn't have to say, just go do it, make it happen or whatever. No, no, no. Like that. And I think that's my responsibility is to help people get that clarity. You know, it's funny to your point, going back a little bit, when I told my friend, go do it, part of what I did was actually went and sat with him and sort of went through a process. I let him lead the process, but I, I sat with him through a process and he was able to, to see that he really could do it himself. And he ultimately got what he wanted. You know, he was, he was able to get what he wanted. So the framework is, is critical. And I mean, that's a huge gift to give someone. Yeah. Yeah. Clarity it is the most underrated thing because clarity begets confidence. And even before you get that confidence, clarity begets momentum. Momentum begets confidence and confidence ultimately gives you the thing that's the magic of it all, certainty. Like when you've got certainty that there's literally nothing, no obstacle challenge that can get into your way to make something happen, you might have to shift and change and be flexible and adaptable, which is truly what mental toughness means. Mental toughness means your ability to be flexible and adaptable despite what your circumstances in the world around you is giving you right now. Mental weakness is standing like a rigid tree that's going to fight the wind. You know, oak, <laughs> oak trees bend. No, you want to bend with things. And so certainty is that, man, there's nothing you can throw my way that I can't handle. And that's why like even in the book for the alter ego effect, it's like I'm just giving people another phenomenal strategy that's built into the human consciousness that taps into a superpower that we've got, creative imagination to help you navigate things with a little more grace and grit. Awesome. Awesome. Go read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, last question. Just going back to the Facebook post, which really touched me. Before I ask my question, I'll tell you why it touched me. Because it just showed, because I have three young children like you do. Well, two young ones and an older one. But the innocence and beauty of a child, you know, for her to put her hand on your face and say, Daddy, are you happy? 
and how that sort of started the cascade of this whole thing was amazing and it touched me I, and I, call, I was working on it. I called my, my wife over and said, honey, read this. You know, this is, so, this is so beautiful. But what I want you to specifically address is if there's anyone out there right now who's listening to this podcast who's depressed or feeling suicidal, what would you say to them? I would say find and reach out to someone that you trust and get it out of you. Just say it once. I just got this beautiful message as a direct message in Instagram just yesterday. The gentleman who's mid-40s, very successful person in Los Angeles. I don't know him. I never met him, so he reached out cold. But he said, you know, I, I listened to an interview that you did where you talked about that. And I thought, wow, like if he can do that and I have a similar experience and that bravery and courage that I was inspired by, he kind of latched onto that idea that it would be brave and courageous of him to do it. He called his brother and told him what happened to him. And he said, you know, I feel like I've just left 10,000 pounds of brick and weight off of my shoulders. And, you know, I've got two daughters. That's why he resonated with the two. And I realized I was only living on the planet for them, but I really did want to live on the planet for myself too. Like that's powerful to be able to get to that place. And so like for me, I had said in the post that, you know, one of the sources of inspiration for me to make sure I face this down was I didn't want to give my kids what I called secondhand trauma. I had it just like secondhand smoke, the other person doesn't deserve it. My kids don't deserve that secondhand trauma in the way that it was shaping my kind of like inner rage that I had that would sometimes transmute itself into, you know, snapping. And that's not the kind of dad I'd want to be for them. You know, they're little kids. And so when Molly, you kind of referenced it, when I put her and Sophie into the, the carriage, when I picked them up from preschool there, which is actually two years ago, almost to the day. Today? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She put her hand in my face and she said, daddy, are you happy? And I was like, yeah, I'm happy. Why? She's like, oh, you've been yelling at us a lot lately and it's making us sad. And I mean, Dude. yeah, it tore me up. I was standing in the middle of Chelsea Pierce crying. I mean, which, I almost you know, bawled this morning <laughs> reading that. I was like, good Lord. Yeah. And so my point getting to your, your question is like, find someone that you trust that's a friend or a family member and, and share it with them and then see where that leads. And I would definitely encourage people to find a professional to talk to them about it so that you don't need to navigate it on your own. I mean, it's, it's the biggest mistake. It's the thing that I'll, if I could beat myself up on something when I was younger is I had this mentality when I started my business is I wanted to do something. I want to do it on my own. I want to climb the mountain, plant the flag at the top of the mountain and say, I did it. Yes. Way to go, Todd. And it was such a stupid and slow way of doing something. You know, when you take a look at all the studies that are done on the fulfillment and joy that people have over the course of their life, there's only one common thread. And that is relationships, having close relationships. And, you know, people who say that they've had a fulfilling life or a happy life, whatever, are people who had like really great relationships around them. So when I had finally came to that conclusion, I was like, I'm always within arm's reach right now when I'm climbing the mountain to a good friend or anybody that can, that can help me. And so just to encourage people that start walking, that doesn't make it any easier. I definitely was taking two steps back along the way. But now that I'm out the other side, I was like so grateful for the chance that I've got now to be even a you know 10x dad to my kids and you know my wife and even and then obviously be my own best friend, which is you know an amazing feeling to get to finally. I like how you use 10x, you know, a business term, you know, revenue and profit, but being that for your for your kids, that's beautiful. All right, and last thing I'll just say quickly, Todd, you know, said find a therapist. If you're in a position where you can't afford a therapist, just latch on to the first thing you said, which is just tell someone you trust. If you don't have anyone you trust, 
just write it down, but try to try to find a way to get it out because you're holding on to something that's going to destroy you. All right. Yes, yeah, so BS. Are you ready? Let's do it. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, coaching business leaders is more exciting than coaching athletes. It's the same. Okay. Sorry. All good. Number two, the happiest entrepreneurs are the ones that make the most money. Yes. There is definitely a correlation between when you've got more money, you got more resources, definitely, right? But that doesn't mean that the people, I know many entrepreneurs that are making a lot of money and they're terribly unhappy, but there's bullshit on both sides of the equation on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Number three, being a coach is much easier than being a father. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. That is such, that's not even, we don't even need to, that's self-explanatory. That is self-explanatory. <laughs> All right. Number four, whatever we associate ourselves with, we take on the traits of. Whatever we associate ourselves with, we take on the traits of. Yes. And number five, Canadians are nicer. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's not even a, can't believe we I even love it. Canadians, man, by the way. I wish I knew more. I wish I was friends with more. Maybe yeah. we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll exchange you got info. One. You got one. Number six, the mind can cause or change one's emotion. Yes. Number seven, if I put on glasses, I will feel smarter. Yes. Number eight, ah, I like this one. Hate cannot drown out hate. Absolutely. That's a quote from Martin Luther King. And number nine, this is Todd's. Todd gave me one before we started. I like this one. Most self-help books are helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is, that's our next episode. We'll, we'll yes, discuss that. Two. Yeah. Well, we're going to deconstruct all the self-help books and show you yeah. how they're actually self-unhelp. All right. That was great. Thank you, Todd. Absolutely, man. This was a great conversation. Tell the people how they can reach out to you, connect with you. If they're business folk out there that want to get some coaching, training, what, what can they do? My home base on the internet is toddherman.me and all my kind of social channels. And, you know, I kind of share the backstage of life on stuff on Instagram and everywhere else. So toddherman.me is the place to go. And then, you know, even for the book, alteregoeffect.com, where people can kind of get the links to all the different places that you can go and buy and watch some more videos if they want to as well. Excellent. All right. Thank you again, Tom. Your champ. I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.